and uh, it's amazing how Aussies can find a place to play cricket anywhere, anytime, with anything. I saw this picture on the internet the other day. I thought, yep, that's typical Aussie, isn't it? I think he's got a coconut for a ball. I don't know what the bat is. But whenever you play backyard cricket or, or beach cricket, you need to set the rules up first because there's always someone who's going to, you know, tap the ball and someone will say, yeah, but it's tippy run. You're out or, you know, <laughs> one arm off the coconut tree, that's out. Or, you know, the rules are very elastic. And so, you know, whenever you play beach cricket or something like that, you need to interpret the rules especially if you've got big brothers or, you know, because they're going to bend the rules to suit them, you know, off the rubbish bins out and all that sort of stuff. So, and I think church is a little bit like that. It actually helps if we not set the rules but set the parameters and give people a sense of who we are, what do we do, why do we do it that way, so people can say, yep, that's me, I can, I can be on board, or they can say, no, that's not really my style of doing church. And that's okay because there's lots of styles of doing church. And what we did last week and what we're finishing off with this week is just looking at a few of our core values. What is it as a church that we are, we are striving to create? What type of an environment do we want? What do we want people to experience? And, and more importantly, what do we want people to, to reproduce and to multiply? You know, it's great to say we want to be a lovely, warm church. But if the only person that's warm in the church is the pastor, it's not going to last. There needs to be a congregation full of warm, loving people. If we say we're going to have a heart for the community and no one's interested, well, what's the point of having a core value like that? So it's really enabling us to, to nail down what we believe. And we saw that that all stems from our, our key verse, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That's really when we boil it down. That's who we want to be as a group of people. That's our that's our rah-rah. That's who we want to be, those sorts of, of people. And then we've narrowed that down even further to a, a one little statement to say, we want Catalyst to be a revolution of love. If nothing else, I hope that people come and they're touched by the love of God and our openness to receiving that love from God and an environment where that can be ministered and people can to encounter God and that can be through all sorts of gifts and all sorts of forms and all sorts of programs and ministries. But if we don't have love, we've got nothing. So we're not about big glossy programs. We're not about slick, you know, performance mentality. We're about a heart of love and a sustainable heart of love week in, week out. One of the core values of this church is quality commitment. Okay, commitment's a bit of a dirty word in our culture these days because people aren't committed anymore. And that's reflected in something like marriage. How many marriages these days that when it gets tough, ring comes off, marriage is over, and, you know, people don't have commitment anymore. It's been eroded in all sorts of areas of our society. And, and, and I think when you come to a church, you have to determine a degree of stickability to go on a journey with that church doesn't mean there aren't seasons and when your time won't finish. You're not stuck there forever. But half-hearted, lukewarm Christians don't make a healthy church. We've got to be in their boots and all through the good times and through the bad times. And there will always be bad times in churches because you're dealing with broken, dysfunctional people, controlling people sometimes who want to do it their way, and there's always a bit of politics. The day you find a church that doesn't, please let me know because I want to go there. 
But the reality is it would be foolishness to think that when you put 100 people together, there's not going to be some jostle and nozzle. There's going to be. That's just relationship, whether it be a marriage or a family or a church or a workplace, there will always be tough times and good times. And we need to stick it out. And I think sometimes what's happening in our culture is commitment to church equals how much you entertain me. If I come on Sunday morning and I feel entertained, then I'll stay. If, if you're making me feel good, then I'll be happy to stick around. I have never read in the New Testament where someone left the church because someone over there was a better communicator. Never would you hear that. Because family means commitment. And commitment means sticking together, working through issues. When there is conflict, to be courageous enough to address it and to stick it out. There's how many people here? 100, 100 people in this room? Are we all going to get our way? No way. It's delusional to think that church equals I'm always going to be happy. She won't be. So we've got to be committed. Someone once said to me, there's two type of, types of people in a church. There's a sympathizer and then there's a supporter. The sympathizer does this. It's really good that Glenn gets here at 8.30 on a Sunday morning and sets up for kids' church. really think he's a great guy. That's a sympathizer. The supporter says, isn't that a shame that Glenn has to be here at 8.30 on a Sunday morning by himself? I'll be there next Sunday to help Glenn. That's a supporter. A sympathizer loves what you do but isn't willing to pay the same price themselves. We need to be a church of supporters, not just sympathizers, people that put their shoulder to the plough and don't look back. Quality commitment. The next thing that's really important as a church is that we have kingdom vision, okay? Catalyst is a church that's trying to create a unique style of doing church, but I don't think we've stumbled across the greatest model in the world. You know, we're not doing anything that's new under the sun, okay? We're just one style of doing church. And so if a church down the road is doing it differently, it's not our place to criticise them. It's not our place to tear them down. In fact, quite the opposite. We should have a, a sense of outlook to want to bless other churches. And if we can in any way, shape or form, enhance their ministry or encourage their ministry, we should do that. Why reinvent the wheel? If they're doing something better than us, let's go and join them. You know, that's a kingdom mindset. It's not a competitive spirit. I hate it when you get together as pastors and it's like, how big's your church, mate? How many go to your church? Oh, we've got 350. Oh, really? We've got 780 and it's growing. And it becomes a competitive thing where the measure of success is how many people you have in your pews. Well, what would be the point of having 10,000 people that are half-hearted and half-committed? I'd rather have 10 that are sold out for Jesus. And so we need to think about kingdom vision, about the big picture thinking. Wasn't it great that a church like Beaconsfield Baptist Church and Pakenham Baptist Church, who were totally different in style to us, had kingdom vision and thought, yeah, there needs to be a charismatic church in the area. What can we do to help? Now, that's kingdom vision. And it's, and it's great that we can have that mentality as a church. So we're committed to encouraging you to get involved in ministries outside of Catalyst. That's okay. There's ministries out there like the soup kitchen or all sorts of things out there. It's not your hours and we need to pen you in. No, 
If there's a ministry out there that's doing something that you're passionate about and we can't offer it, go do it. You have my absolute blessing to be involved. We're committed to sharing our strengths and resources with the larger body of Christ and we're committed to releasing our facilities for the, the greater kingdom work. Wouldn't it be great if there were churches meeting in the same building sort of one after the other? You know, I said that to David at Beaconsfield. I said, you guys meet in your big auditorium here and you have this big auditorium on the other side that's empty. Why can't we meet in the same facility? He said, because that will probably go to your side. That's why. <laughs> so, yeah, kingdom vision to a point. As long as I get to keep my people. Yeah. And another key thing about our church is prayer. It's got to be based in prayer and on prayer and through prayer. It's perpetual prayer. You know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. You know, prayer should infuse every aspect of our life, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. You don't have to close your eyes and go into prayer mode. You know, you can pray to God with your eyes open in your workplace, working a machine, teaching a class, whatever you're doing. Prayer is that constant reliance on God. And it's really unleashing the power of heaven. When I used to teach um, RE, if, if I didn't, when I walked onto the school ground, if I didn't take authority over the class and the kids and I forgot and I walked in there, that RE class was mayhem. But if I stood at the gates of the school and said, God, I'm your messenger, I want you to give me authority over the kids, and totally different class. You know, prayer makes a really big difference. And I want to encourage Catalyst to be a house of prayer. At the end of the service today, we're going to sing that song, Healer, again. I know there's lots of people that are struggling with their health. Well, that's prayer. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. So I make no apologies if we stop and we pray and the prayer goes on and, because it's really us saying, God, we need you and we're reliant on you. I went to the Maranatha dedication of their schools this week. And about 10 minutes into their dedication service, they had the Maranatha worship band come and play a song. And I was embarrassed, not by them, but by looking at the way that they were hungry for God as young people. I mean, I think of when I used to go to school, there's no way I'd have been up on a stage with my arms raised, eyes closed, worshipping God with an attitude of real passion. Yet I was looking at these kids thinking, I don't quite know if we're there yet as a church. They were hungry for God. They were passionate for God. You could see demonstratively by what they were doing, and that's not always the gauge, but as I looked at those kids on that stage, you knew they were serious about God. And to me it was a challenge. We need to have inspired worship. And inspired worship works on the principle that the five that are hungry of God becomes the ten becomes the 15, becomes the 20, becomes the 100. And we come with an attitude of worship and we expect to meet with God. We inspect, expect to encounter his presence. And so each week when we gather together as a worship team, we're praying, Lord, bring people with hungry hearts today. Help them break through anything that's holding them back in their, in their busyness of their week or the distractions. We want to be a church that is really sold out for God in worship, in love with Jesus Christ. And worship is the sign of that. You know, there's something exciting about worship. 
you can almost stand at the back and watch people and say, it's not going to happen today. I know it. Sometimes I stand at the back and I just think, it's not happening today. And then other times it happens and I think, well, what's the difference? What is the difference? Just because my week's been a shocker doesn't mean that changes God's worthiness of worship. And Paul said he would beat his body into submission to worship God. There's a power encounter when we can set aside the things of this world. You know that song, and the things of earth grow strangely dim. When we focus on who God is. And we need to get better at that discipline of entering into worship. Moving into that place where the presence of God is tangible where it gets to the point where you're frightened to do the next thing in the service because you don't want to spoil what God is doing. That's what we long for as a church. And, and that just takes time to generate, but it takes a freedom and a willingness to enter in with God. So our style's fairly casual. It's okay to go and get a coffee. I won't be offended if you stand up and go and get one. We want people to feel relaxed. But we want our services to be contemporary and charismatic. And charismatic means that we have a plan, but God has an agenda. And his agenda is so much more important. And we need to be sensitive. And we might have our L plates on at the moment as a church. But if you have a word, if you sense God, something wants, God wants to say something to the church, then by all means, come and ask me to do that. Maybe you've had a great testimony this week of something God did, healed you. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it. I don't want Catalyst to be about a select few people who deliver the ministry and everyone just sits there. It's a body. And we want body, life, ministry. And so we need to be willing to pray to get out of our comfort zone. And I hope that our church becomes an inconvenient place to be at so that you're not comfortable and so that you are challenged and so that we are stretched and we are saying, Lord, grow us reshape the boundaries of church so that it's not the same old formats. People in pews, guy up the front who's supposed to be the professional, telling everyone else how to live their lives when his life is more of a mess than everybody else's. We've got to get away from that. We've got to come back to just allowing God to be God and us to be real with our needs and allowing God to minister. I often ask myself this question, the last one on the screen. If I was a non-Christian who had no concept of church or what church should look like, what would you expect that person to witness when they came to church? What would they expect to see? They should expect to see an all-powerful God moving in power. They should expect to see people that say, yep, I'm passionate about Jesus, passionate about Jesus. They should see something that gets up their nose, I hope, because it's so countercultural to our world. You know, you go to the cricket and everyone's rah, rah, and everyone's yeah, yeah, yeah. Put them in church, they'd all go. But we should be the opposite. When we're in the world and we hear the people swearing and carrying on, telling the Pakistanis that he's, you know, whatever, racially abusing them, we should be cringing. But when we come to church, there should be something about us that just comes alive as we celebrate one another, as we celebrate the goodness of God. I really pray that our worship will be inspired. And I'm a bit nervous because our guys are getting much better. 
if you've noticed, their, uh, their music's really coming together. They're working really hard. But I know that, that um, Cara's really keen to get a pay rise at church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she wears the T-shirts. Nurses need more pay. I'm just hoping that doesn't translate into uh, the worship team needs more money. <laughs> There'll be T-shirts next week. A biblical imprint. Now, I'm not talking about tattoos and their, whether they're good or not good. But it's that type of imagery that really should be imprinted on our hearts, that the Word of God is near and dear to us. It's the benchmark. You know, we could stand up here every week and talk dribble and be really topical and funny or whatever. But at the end of the day, if we don't have a biblical imprint where we use the Word of God, because it's living and active, it's alive. And as we look at God's word, as we study God's word, as we allow it to permeate us, it will bring change. And so the word of God is our, is our benchmark of theology. It's where we go back to and it's our love letter from God. Someone said it's basic instructions before leaving earth, the Bible. And that's really what it is. We need to come back and let the Word of God dwell in us richly. We need to teach people the Old Testament, teach them the rich culture and the history of God and his revelation to his people and how he chose Abram out of all the people on the earth and moulded and shaped them into a, a royal priesthood of people that reflected the heart of God and how rich the Old Testament is. We need to teach people the New Testament and 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 the wonders of Jesus and his parables and the gospel and the power of his kingdom and how a kingdom mentality changes everything. And then to, to delve into the epistles and see how church was supposed to happen and how people work through their issues. We need to teach people the whole counsel of God, not just little dribbles. We need to take them off the milk and into the deep stuff and challenge people to rip God's word apart. I remember going to a seminar, a youth seminar one day, and there was a guy there called Peter Blass. He um, used to run Youth Alive in Queensland. He was, you know, one of those youthy guru people right on the edge and, you know, shock treatment to try and get young, get the message across. I remember him ripping pages out of his Bible and eating them, trying to get the point across about how much we should be digesting God's Word. I don't know whether that was really wise, but, but you get the point. The Bible's the centre of our Activate groups. It's why we gather around sermons and messages. It's to feed off God's wisdom and the power of his word. Getting close to the end. An inverted model of church. One of the things that really saddens me about church life is how much it's become about professionals and about a hierarchy that's structured like this where their expectation is on a few to deliver quality ministries and to carry, you know, the burden of doing church. And, and what we've done is we've just reinforced a culture that is so anti what God wanted church to be. You know, it, it's really sad how much we're reinforcing that about paid professional staff. And for ministry to continue, we need more paid professional staff. No, it's not. The Bible says that the obligation of a leader is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We're failing if we're putting more staff on. We should actually be empowering people to do the work of ministry. That's the obligation of us as leaders. That's the calling of God. 
to give away what we know, to teach, to train, to equip, so that the saints can do it. Oh, Mark, would you, my friend's here today, he wants to you know, give his heart to the Lord. Would, would you lead him in prayer? No, you do it. I don't know how. That's the tragedy. Oh, Mark, this person needs healing. You've got a, you've got a gift of healing. Could you pray? No, you pray. Don't come to me. Do it yourself. That's the mentality that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. Come and watch me do it. Now I'll go and do it with you. Now, out you go. Go do it yourself. That's the Jesus model. We need to train people. Then we need to watch them do it and help them, equip them. And then we need to say, you're on your own. Multiply. Reproduce. And we need to encourage an environment. If you've got a, a situation where you're praying with someone, grab a young person and say, come, come pray with me. Include people in what you do so you train them. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three men that he invested even more into. We should be able to look behind us and say, who are those people that we're reproducing into? The gifts and the abilities that God's given me. Who are you giving them away to? My Tabitha has a really passionate intercessory gift. Tabitha, who are you training? Who are you, who are you grabbing in this congregation that has a kernel, a little raw gift, and you teach them? And their passion is contagious. It's great when we do that. And God has gifted every one of you. You know, Philip has a, a ministry where God speaks to him and he delivers, you know, a message in tongues. But there'll be lots of you that have that as well. And you might be really nervous, but we want to create a culture where you're free to come and do those things and to learn. And if you make a mistake, well, that's just fine by me. We'll put a Band-Aid on it. I'll run around and fix up the mess. Because that's how we grow. That's how we learn. I remember the first time I preached. Boy, boy, is it pathetic. You know, it really was. But somebody gave me <laughs> But somebody gave me a chance. You know, someone saw something in me and said, Mark, I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to get out of the pulpit and let you have a go one Sunday. And if it wasn't for that man, I probably wouldn't be in ministry. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Whatever God's given you to do in your life, whatever your giftedness is, find someone that you can give it away to that you can teach and train. I don't want our measure of success to be about numbers or about the quality of what we do. I want it to be about us just having a place where our model of church is everyone can do anything as the Lord leads them. Generational honour. This is really important, I think, because it sends a message. What we've done in our churches is we've started to compartmentalise church. And in the generation gap that we've got these days, what we do is we lose people off either end. If we don't relate to young people and youth in a pretty sharp way these days, church becomes really boring for them. So we've got to be relevant in their world. But what happens if we're relevant in their world that if we go up to my mum and dad's age group, they fall off the edge. They can't cope with the loud music. They don't like the rah-rah. And so we are really in a difficult time of doing church because we have such a broad spectrum of people's needs and wants. And so we need to be a little bit flexible in being able to value generations and try and meet their needs the best that we can. You know, nothing speaks more to me than watching mature Christians in love with God. You know, when... 
when you go to church and you see people in their 60s and 70s and they're just in love with God, it's just like, Lord, that just melts my heart when I see that sort of thing. But it's also great to have the kids running around and have all the noise and the babies crying and stuff like that. If we're going to be a church that says, shh, no. We need to be a family and we need to honour every generation and what every generation brings to us. Everyone has a place at Catalyst, whether you're single or married or young or old or black and white or rich or poor. We want this to be a place where everyone is honoured in their life. Everyday excellence. I've been in a worship team that was a little bit like that. (laughs) Not this one, thankfully. I'm sure you've all had experience in church where the level of excellence was perfection. And that sends a very loud, clear message. It actually reverberates through the life of the church. Because what happens is that people become timid and they won't get involved. I'm not looking for the best singers. I'm not looking for Billy Grahams. I just want people with a heart after God. And I don't care if your joyful noise to the Lord is not so joyful. <laughs> Does it, is God more pleased by Hillsong than he is by Catalyst? And I think, sadly, Hillsong's done everyone an injustice because their worship is so good that not every church can reproduce that. But I don't think we need to. I really don't. I think we need to be careful that we strive for everyday excellence. Where the scripture says, whatever you do, Do it as unto the Lord. So therefore, if I'm a banker, then I want to be the best banker I can be for God's glory. If I'm a truck driver, I want to be the best truck driver I can be. Honk for Jesus, you know. Beep, beep. (laughs) But but that's the print. Don't laugh, John, just because it's your birthday. Don't laugh. But that's the principle, isn't it? Like, Like in everything that we do in life, we need to be the best that we can be for Jesus. And we want that to be something that spills over into church, but we don't want the standard to be perfection. Just give your best to God. Now, here's the question we need to ask as a church. There's two models of church. One is an attractional church. This is what an attractional church looks like. The pastor wears very slick, nice slacks, pointy toes shoes, (laughs) and you get the vibe that his life is just so together. He's polished, you know, groomed almost, you know, and, and everything's about, you know, There's a counter on the screen that if you go two seconds over, you know, you'll be cut off and the microphone will go off. And church becomes about this being polished and so attractional that everything has to be perfect. And a lot of churches are starting to move to that model. In other words, it's an entertainment model. We need to to put things on in such a way that they're really glossy and slick. The alternative to that is to be an incarnational model, which is to go to where the broken, lost and hurting are and be church there. I think it's both. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing church and doing it well. But if it's going to become a machine where last week's service has to be outdone and has to be bigger and has to be better, that's a slippery dip from which there is no recovery. Really, it's going to be a burden for people to do church because we just have to increase on a graph like this. But if we're really going to touch our community, then we're going to be around people that won't cope with that. Their world is not together. 
they're struggling and they need to see the realism of a church that doesn't have it all together because the reality is we don't. So everyday excellence is important. It's okay to be attractional but not at the expense of meeting people where they're at. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Catalyst Church and thank you for each and every one that you've enmeshed into this church in a beautiful way. Lord, I thank you for the calling that you've put onto their heart. And Lord, although this stuff is a little bit mundane and a little bit clinical, Lord, it's so important that we talk about who we want to be and why we want to be that way and what the dangers are if we do church the wrong way. Father, we need to to wrestle with what it means to be a vibrant church in the 21st century. How are we going to be attractional and want people to come? And yet how are we going to be real and authentic and genuine in relationships and ministry? How do we allow people to come with, with their broken, hurting world and meet you and encounter you? Father, I don't have the answers, but I know together that we can hear your voice. The Holy Spirit, you will lead us and guide us and shape us and help us to grow as a church, to allow your ministry to happen in a free and dynamic way. The Father, our worship would be vibrant, inspirational. The Father, we'd be committed to you in the things that we do. All those things that, that make up the core, the nucleus of who we are, Father God, would you Help us all to get on the same page so that, Father, what we do together, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, hand in hand, will demonstrate to a hurting, broken world that your presence and your power is here. Father, I thank you for each and every one that's here, Lord, in, in their lives. Would you meet with them in a powerful way? Father, for those who are hurting today, whose week has been a heavy heart, a difficult time at work. Someone in their workplace who's agitating them or making life really difficult, Father, would you bring to them your joy, that the joy of the Lord might be their strength in difficult times. Father, help us to be really real with one another. May this be a place where, Lord, we can come with our hurts and burdens and Touch us in a powerful way. As we finish this morning, we're going to sing that song. I believe, Lord, that you're my healer. This morning, there's just a, an opportunity for prayer. Physically, if you're struggling, would you come and let the King of Kings, the healer, touch your body maybe you're struggling spiritually I have a sense that there's some people just going through the motions at the moment and your heart's gone a little cold nobody can change that but you by allowing God to come and break off those things that have robbed you of that first love that passion for Jesus Maybe you have other needs this morning. We just want this to be a time of coming to the throne of God. 
letting God touch your life. Let him minister to you. Why don't you stand this morning? Why don't we worship? I believe, Lord, that you're my healer and I trust in you. Let's declare that this morning. If there's a need in your life, come and bring it to him. He's the only one that can do the impossible. Thank you, Lord.